0: This is 99% Invisible. I'm Roman Mars. It really is almost everything.
1: Infrastructure is just about everything that makes civilization physically possible. Roads, bridges, water supply, uh, sewage removal, dams, and so forth. The physical part of civilization is the infrastructure. That's Henry Petrosky. Well, my name is Henry Petrosky. I'm a professor of civil engineering and history at Duke
0: University. He's written a number of books about catastrophic failures in engineering, and also one about the history of the toothpick. So he's, he's one of us. His most recent book is all about infrastructure.
1: The name of the book is The Road Taken, The History and Future of America's Infrastructure.
0: A couple weeks ago, I interviewed Dr. Petroski about his book and the state of infrastructure in the U.S. The first of many things that I learned that shocked me was that the word infrastructure itself is actually kind of new to English.
1: What we call infrastructure today used to be called public works. And in America, public works was probably a familiar term up until the 1980s. But public works became a term closely associated with what was called pork barrel, uh, which was also <laughs> considered in a rather pejorative term because it had to do with building things
0: that were considered unnecessary or wasteful. Pork barrel is government spending pushed forward by a congressperson to solely benefit the people in their home district.
1: It uh, was associated with politics that was uh, tit for tat. You vote for my pork, I'll vote for yours.
0: But the connection between public works and government corruption got even worse than trading votes. It reached its peak in 1973.
1: There was a major scandal that one of our vice presidents of the United States had to resign, Spiro Agnew, because he basically was taking money for road contracts in his home state of Maryland.
0: So in the 1980s, when shrinking government was becoming all the rage and pork barrel and earmarks were our biggest enemy, after the Soviets, of course— the term public works fell out of fashion. So
1: infrastructure became a term that
0: replaced public works generally. But the term was still so new that in the 1980s, the Wall Street Journal put infrastructure within quotation marks. Since infrastructure is the physical part of civilization, it's hard to generalize which government body or private party is responsible for each individual part of it. So in our conversation, we tended to focus on the big one. Well, let's take roads. We tend to think of roads, especially highways, as one of the wonderful things that the federal government does. Well, that's pretty much wrong. Roads
1: today in the United States are largely the responsibility of municipalities, and states. One of the reasons that it's complicated like this is that the uh, federal government is not authorized by the Constitution to build roads or bridges, or even fixing them up by itself. It has to go through the states.
0: Article 1, Section 8 of the US Constitution states that the federal government can build post roads, meaning routes for the post office to operate effectively, but no other kinds of roads are specified. In fact, in 1817, when a bill was passed by Congress that approved the funding of internal improvements in the country like roads and canals, it was vetoed by then-President James Madison because he felt it was unconstitutional. And he should know because he wrote the Constitution.
1: The federal government can give uh, awards to the states, it can give grants to the states or municipalities, but it, it can't do it itself.
0: But what the feds can do is put a tax on gasoline to raise money for roads, which they then give to the states and cities. This has been the case since the Revenue Act of 1932, which was passed by Herbert Hoover, which raised taxes on pretty much everything.
1: Presently, it's 18.4 cents per gallon. And that gives the federal government uh, about $30 billion a year to distribute to the states. And that distribution, the federal government exercises some control and uh, enables it to provide some standardization to the roads, which I consider a good thing.
0: Me too, because you don't really want to drive from one state to another and find that the roads are completely different.
1: It was the federal government that brought all the states into unification with the uh, colors of the lines on the roads. Yellow lines divide traffic going different ways. White dashes divide lanes going the same way. The federal government uh, making the money contingent on following a standards is what made that
0: happen. But the $30 billion federal highway trust fund, which is fed by the national gasoline tax, isn't keeping up with our current needs. One easy solution, of
1: course, would be to increase the gasoline tax. It hasn't been increased since 1993, which is
0: quite a while. Because the federal gas tax has been so stagnant, the states take it upon themselves to levy their own state gas taxes and fund their road projects that way. Increasing the federal gas tax is not popular, so politicians have trouble doing it. But even if they could, it isn't a great solution.
1: Obviously, if you're going to depend upon the tax on gasoline per gallon for replenishing the fund, then you have to project how many gallons of gasoline are going to be used and whether that volume of consumption is going to be steady or increase. And generally, we expect things like that to increase with time.
0: Right now, people are driving more electric and hybrid vehicles than ever before. They still use the roads, but they spend less money at the gas pump. So Prius owners may be saving the environment, but they are mooching off our roads. It is so hard to do the right thing. So now there's a notion to separate the collecting of taxes needed to maintain the road from the consumption of gasoline.
1: Instead of taxing the fuel that's used, you tax the mileage that the vehicle travels on state roads, regardless of whether it uses fuel or not. And uh, this can be done in a variety of ways. At present, there are a number of pilot programs that are, are
0: trying this out. There are pilot programs that involve self-reporting the number of miles you drive, but the obvious solution is to have a GPS-based tracking device inside each car. And we'll see if that goes anywhere. Because if you're someone who gets freaked out about the constitutionality of the federal government building roads, I'm going to guess that you're not going to be too keen on the federal government installing a tracking device in your car to see how many miles you drive.
1: I suspect it will take at least a decade to um, replace the gas tax entirely
0: but it will probably come. Infrastructure is all about choices. When a new bridge is proposed, there are countless discussions about whether the bridge should be purely functional and therefore presumably cheaper, or if it should be a signature piece of architecture that attracts international attention. There are cases to be made on either side. I'm a signature man myself. But even mundane features like roads involve choices that reverberate for decades. Most roads today that aren't interstate roads are made of asphalt. One of asphalt's advantages, of course, is that it's seamless. There is a real pleasure in driving on a new, smooth, black asphalt road. Plus, asphalt can be laid down quickly, it's relatively cheap, and it's easy to patch and repair. The downside is, it's not especially durable. You actually have to patch and repair it quite a lot. Alternatively, you can build a much more durable concrete road. But concrete doesn't offer that smooth, seamless ride that asphalt does. Because... physics.
1: With concrete we need what are so-called expansion joints, what appear to be cracks, uh, but what are really deliberate lines cut into the concrete to allow it to crack in a
0: controlled way. The cracks are there so that the road doesn't break into pieces when the concrete contracts and expands due to big fluctuations in temperature.
1: But. The tires of a vehicle going over them make a noise, and the vehicle feels it. When you're driving on a concrete road, it sounds like
0: da-dun, da-dun, dun
1: And the ride is not as smooth or as quiet as it can be on well-laid asphalt.
0: In addition, concrete roads are more expensive, they're more expensive to repair, and they take longer. But they aren't as prone to potholes and can last a lot longer than asphalt roads. So decisions have to be made. Do we go with the cheaper, quicker, easier method and save money now, or go with the more expensive, slower, and less pleasing method and hope to save money on repairs and replacement costs over time? Since
1: so many of these decisions are made in a political context by people who know that they are going to um, probably move on before the repaving has to be done, we'll generally opt for the lesser expensive choice, which means asphalt. Asphalt is simply cheaper than concrete, and therein is one of the main reasons that we have so much asphalt in this country.
0: But there is a more radical choice. In Montpelier, Vermont, there is a road called Bliss Road, which was in a terrible state of disrepair for many years, until finally, in 2009, the city decided just to unpave the road, turn it into a dirt and gravel road. And since then, 27 states have also unpaved some of their roads for the same reason. I wondered if this was a clever solution or just a demoralizing defeat. I've heard about that,
1: and uh, it does seem like a pretty clever solution. It's probably not a very popular solution among the paving contractors, for example. (laughs) Um, it It would depend on the nature of this road. If this is a road that doesn't have especially heavy traffic not a lot of
0: heavy truck traffic. It might work from an engineering point of view, When the eastern span of the Bay Bridge was about to open in 2013, they set aside a day for pedestrians to walk the bridge, much like people did in 1883 when the Brooklyn Bridge was opened. I was all set to bring my kids and celebrate this new massive piece of infrastructure, but because of last-minute repairs, the event was canceled, and the bridge opened to traffic with much less public involvement in the fanfare. And I really didn't get a sense that people were all that upset about it, we collectively just don't have the feeling that infrastructure warrants celebration or a sense of pride like we once did. I asked Dr. Petrowski why he thought that is. Oh, I think
1: uh, we, the electorate, has uh, you know, gotten mentally lazy about the infrastructure like we have about a lot of things. We tend to focus on what's of immediate concern to us. We, we might worry more about our driveway than the highway that is uh, nearby. I do think that celebratory events are important and that uh, do help generate that pride and almost responsibility because everybody's a part of all all this. The uh, different things that we we vote for and pay for in our our taxes and and fees, we're really part owner of of all that stuff and uh, we should
0: worry about it as as much as we do our our neighborhood. What do you think about the idea of reclaiming the term public works, you know, to reflect the fact that it is owned by all of us and that it is public.
1: That's a good idea. I, I haven't given it a great deal of thought, but that would make it more explicit. It's for the public and by the public in, in, a, in a way. Infrastructure is such a, uh, what is it, a Latinate word that, you know, makes it more abstract and removed. So yeah, that that's an interesting idea.
0: Good. <laughs> well, um, I just thought it out. Oh, good. I, um, well, excellent. <laughs> I have a proposal to, to send out into the world. 99% Invisible is Sam Greenspan, Delaney Hall, Kirk Holstead, Taryn Mazza, Katie Mingle, Avery Truffleman, Sharif Youssef, and me, Roman Mars. Special thanks to Oliver Assis for answering some questions about pavement I had on Twitter. We use music this week from the trifecta of 99PI All-Stars. That's Okakumi. Lullatone and Melodium. Buy their music and make your life better. We'll have links on our website. We are a project of 91.7 KALW San Francisco and produced on Radio Row in beautiful downtown Oakland, California. Support for 99% Invisible comes from FreshBooks. Making a change is often really difficult. The thing is, if you actually embrace the idea, the results can often surprise you. Our sponsor, FreshBooks, wants to change how you deal with the frustrating barrage of day-to-day paperwork. You see, FreshBooks makes ridiculously easy-to-use cloud accounting software for small business owners that will help you work smarter, become more organized, and most importantly, get you paid quickly. You can create and send really professional looking invoices in under 30 seconds and even see when your client has viewed the invoice. FreshBooks also makes getting paid online a breeze. Setup takes just seconds and you'll get paid up to four days faster and your clients will love being able to pay directly from their invoice. To see all the ways FreshBooks can show you how refreshing change can be, they're offering all 99PI listeners an unrestricted 30-day free trial. To claim it, go to freshbooks.com 99PI and enter 99PI in the How Did You Hear About Us section. 99% Invisible is supported by Squarespace. Whether you need a landing page, a beautiful gallery, a professional blog, or an online store, it's all included with your Squarespace website. It's easy and actually pretty fun to use, but if you have any trouble, they have 24-7 customer support. They offer free custom domains when you sign up for a year. They have beautiful templates to get you started and all the tools you need to set up an online store. Start your free trial today and to get 10% off your first purchase, sign up at squarespace.com invisible. This and every week, this show and Radiotopia from PRX is supported by a legion of beautiful nerds who allow me to geek out about things like Asphalt, The Knight Foundation, and MailChimp. This week on the 99PI MailChimp newsletter, placing holes in buildings so dragons can pass through feng shui architecture in Hong Kong. Plus, we have a great article that breaks down the redesign of our website. Subscribe to the newsletter at 99pi.org, but to send better email of your own, go to MailChimp.com. One of the original inspirations for 99% Invisible was Nate DiMeo's The Memory Palace. We've featured the show before, but if for any reason you haven't taken heed and subscribed, I'm telling you, You are missing out. Nate tells beautiful short stories from history that put the world on pause for a few minutes and transport you to another time. The episodes are both funny and heartbreaking, and there's just nothing else like it. You can find it and all the other Radiotopia shows at radiotopia.fm. You can find this show and talk about this show on Facebook and follow us all on Twitter and Instagram. Our Tumblr curates cool design stories from around the web, but the easiest way to listen to all the past episodes and read more cool stories about design is to go to our website. It's 99pi.org. Radiotopia.